Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Recode Radio presents Too Embarrassed to Ask, hosted by me, Kara Swisher, and Lauren Good of The Verge, powered by digital media. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audible.com slash decode. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. And I'm Lauren Good, senior tech editor at The Verge. And this is Too Embarrassed to Ask, a podcast that's all about making technology easier to understand and use. If you have questions about technology that you've been too embarrassed to ask, well, you have found the right podcast. No question is a bad question, so be sure to send us yours. Submit your questions in advance by tweeting them to at Recode or to myself or to Lauren with the hashtag Too Embarrassed. That's two R's and two S's in embarrassed in case you cannot spell. Thanks, Kara. Uh, Don't forget, you can also post on Recode's Facebook page because we've been definitely getting more questions there as well. And you can find all our past episodes on iTunes at iTunes.com slash Too Embarrassed to Ask. And while you're there, leave us a review. So, Kara, I just had a whole glorious week with you at Code Conference last week, and now you are gone. Yes. You're in Washington, D.C. I am in the nation's capital. I'm in Washington, D.C., and I'm doing my best to try to convince Paul Ryan to change his mind again about Trump. I don't. I think Trump's doing a good job changing it for him. Well, good luck with that. Maybe you can ask Mitt Romney to talk to him since yeah. he seems to actually be outspoken, or anyone with any sense for that matter. Um, I'm sure we could do an entire podcast about politics I if want we wanted to. to. Should we do that? No, Should sometime. Definitely. I have a lot to say. Right. Although I don't think that we have nearly enough time to cover it today. So uh, yeah, let's talk about something something else. else. We can talk about the code conference, which just ended. How how was your code conference? It was great. It was really fun. I got a lot of attention, largely lots of great guests like Jeff Bezos, Sheryl Sandberg, Ginny Rometty from IBM, all kinds of people. Nathan Miraval talking about how asteroids are going to kill us. Um, But I think the thing that got most attention was Elon Musk talking about several different things that were each mind blowing in and of themselves. Yes. You know, artificial intelligence was definitely one of the over overarching themes of mm-hmm. the entire conference. And you and Walt really made a point to ask people about that on stage. Right. But I think what the subtone of all of that was, was we're all going to die by artificial intelligence. Yes, the computers. <laughs> like Nathan Merville was like, asteroids are going to crash into Earth. And then Elon Musk was like, you know, we're all going to die in Mars. And then some, you know, other people were like, robots, they will kill us all eventually. Yeah, and well, like, it, it was just, it was really... It was largely <laughs> Elon. Rest of the technology people thought that robots will be great for us. It'll be all only happy outcomes. And Elon sort of dumped cold water on all of that by pointing out that at the very 
very nicest, they're going to treat us like house cats. At the very worst, right. they're going to kill us. So it's really not a great thing. And then, of course, he ended it by saying it doesn't really matter because we're in a simulation already by these robots, by these uh, yes. greater beings. We're in a, right now, as you listen to this podcast, you are living in a simulated world, yes. FYI. So nothing matters. We are in our respective studios, which are actually simulated worlds. So Right. Which yeah. is kind of cool. <laughs> um, but one of the things we also had is we had the, the CEO, we had a chef, Dominique Crenn, and also a C, the CEO of Impossible Foods, which is making the the bloody vegan hamburger, which was really interesting. And we had a whole food fair there. We had people trying different foods. But one of the things they tested was this burger that looks like a burger, tastes like a burger, but is not, in fact, meat. What did you think of that? I liked it. Did you it. try it? Yeah, I liked it a lot. Did you like it? I liked it, too. But I found that because I had it on a bun mm-hmm. with condiments, with fries on the side, it, I sort of had the whole, like, all of the peripherals of a burger. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, this tastes like a burger. But I, I wonder what the meat would taste like well, without yeah, but all of that. Th- that's a burger. Like, I don't think you often eat a free burger kind of thing. And also, you know, you do when you have a vegan burger, you can taste it as a vegan burger, despite putting everything on top of it, I think. Mm-hmm. So it was good. So it leads it us good. into this discussion about food. Yeah. So I, I mean, I like to say that food is kind of the great unifier in tech because it's the one thing that everybody understands. It's the one thing that everybody has to consume. And we've certainly seen this wave of food tech and food delivery services before and, you know, an earlier era in tech. But now it seems like food delivery services are really everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. They're back. You know, there was a big boom of them years ago in the first dot-com thing, and they kind of all fell apart. But there's two parts. Of it. There's food tech, which is things like the burger or Soylent and the preparation of food and delivery of food are separate. So it's kind of really interesting mm-hmm. how tech is affecting the making of food and then also the delivery of food. Right. And in the delivery side, now there are things like you know, mobile, of course, which has enabled this, which is a completely different experience than maybe the one we saw 15 years ago or so. Right. And that's just one of the new technologies that are kind of enabling this. I actually I pulled up this interesting quote. I, I read a newsletter from a research firm called Rosenheim Advisors, mm-hmm. and they write a lot about food and tech. And according to them, the on-demand and convenient, quote unquote, economies drove a significant amount of 215's venture capital investments, right. like around 44 percent of last year's total total U.S. food tech funding was devoted to the on-demand sector compared with 29% of funding in 2015. So it's certainly a hot area. Yes. But it's one that we still have a lot of questions around. Yeah, it's hot so, because there is funding. It's a question of whether these things, these delivery services particularly. The, the food tech, I think, will, will bear itself out eventually, how we, we sort of hack food. But the delivery services will be interesting because VCs are putting so much money into them. And you know, I always say thank you, VCs, for all the nice free food uh, in San Francisco. You get beautiful food for a fraction of the price of what they cost to make it. Right. You say San Francisco is assisted living for millennials. Yes, it so is. And for Kara kind of Swisher. And for Kara Swisher, <laughs> and, which is nice. Right. And for also for you. Yeah. Um, um, well, I mean, without any further buildup, for this very special episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask, we've brought in Tree Tran. He's the co-founder and CEO of Munchery, which is a San Francisco-based dinner delivery service that in the past has been described as kind of an Etsy for food. Yeah, um, Tree, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you uh, for having me. Thank you. Yeah, I love Munchery. i to have you in. I use the Munchery a lot. Um, so but I know what it's about. Why don't you talk a little bit about it? Because it's not takeout the way, you know, my son is here with me in the studio and he uses Grubhub or, or some people use Caviar and others and meal kits. But Muntry's particular, and most people don't have it, don't have Muntry. So why don't you explain what it is? That's right. So unlike uh, a lot of delivery services that bring you food from a local restaurant, we actually feature chef-crafted uh, you know, meals that we have our own culinary team. We uh, source our, our ingredients and we 
uh, prepare and cook the meals ourselves, uh, and then we also distribute and deliver the food to you, uh, whether you're at home or your office or something like that. And that, you know, makes us uh, pretty much completely vertically integrated. Right. Uh, we make the food, we prepare the food, we inventory the food, we deliver the food. We're short of owning a farm, and maybe that day might come sooner than you think. But mm-hmm. uh, that allow us to control the quality completely from end to end and uh, ensure that it's a great quality. Uh, and, and when you have full control like that, you have also full control on margins, you have full control on your cost of goods, uh, and that allows us to make it a, a true business. So you're not a glorified that's very important. delivery So anywhere service. that Munchery is, you have an industrial kitchen with chefs. Those, those chefs are full-time employees? That's right. The chefs are full-time employees. Um, they design recipes that can scale because we cook a lot of food for a lot of people. It's not like a restaurant where, let's say, you walk into a restaurant, you order a filet of salmon, you have a cook or a chef in the back kitchen cooking that one portion for you. That's great. They put it in front of you. You enjoy it. It's awesome. But if you ask that same cook, can you make a 1,000 units of that? He either say no or he'll queue over, you know, mm-hmm. like not going to be able to do that. Uh, so it's a very different process for us. So it requires some serious R&D for us. And a lot of the technology comes actually in tracking and recording uh, the procedures on how to cook this, very specific dishes, very carefully. And then we also have an amazing ability to have a daily changing menu. Uh, so most restaurants, as you probably know, have a fixed menu. And if they do change it, it's a pretty rare event. Mm-hmm. Uh, for us, that's th- there is uh, a daily changing cadence to it. Yes, there are items that are featured all week long, all month long, or whatever. But we do have daily specials. Yeah. And that is an amazing challenge where, for us to be able to do that. Where, where do you operate? Where do you operate itself? Because a lot of people, again, in San Francisco, where else? Yeah, in San Francisco, we have a kitchen in the Mission District. And uh-huh. then we also have a new kitchen in South San Francisco. So where else and what other cities? We also operate in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in Seattle, we serve all of Seattle, Tacoma. Uh, we're also in New York. We serve all of Manhattan, most of probably uh, Brooklyn. We also serve uh, Long Island, New Jersey, uh, Westchester, uh, and then uh, in L.A., we also serve the whole central L.A., Orange County, San Fernando Valley. Uh, so our motto is where we cook the food and we chill it that day and we bring it to you chilled. We don't attempt to bring you hot food. Hot food, uh, there are very specific kind of food that fits for that format, namely pizza. <laughs> yeah. Uh, everything else is really Although bad you have for pizza. Format. You have pizza. You've, we do have that. pizza, but it's in a way where you put in the oven and it comes out exactly the way the chef intended to you instead right. of it's already been cooked and then they try to maintain hot temperature and bring it to you in 30, 50 minutes or something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, which is okay for pizza, but if you name any right. most any other piece of food, like a, a fillet of salmon I mentioned earlier as an example, if you're trying to keep that hot, uh, and by the way, that means 140 f- degrees Fahrenheit or above, you will continue to cook that piece of fish, and it will come dry, it will be overcooked. It'll yes, be I've had that mm-hmm. experience. So the idea is once you get a munchery meal, you have to pop it in the oven you for the 10 oven to 20 minutes, 10 heat to it 10 up. minutes, or mm-hmm. if you're short on yeah. time, a couple of minutes in the microwave. And it's exactly how a chef designed these dishes to be. We only have one purpose. We don't serve people on site. So it's not like, oh yeah, it's an afterthought. Let's shove this in a box and then bring it to customers. Uh, yeah, you we, know, it's great. It's a great service. It's a great service. It's quite inexpensive. I always, I do think that it's underpriced compared given what I'm getting. But a lot of... How much Speaking, does it cost? Speak, uh, $10 a meal, I think, something like that. It's it's very reasonable. It's, I thought it was a little bit more than that. No? It, no. It, for a while, our average entree is about $10. You can get a, a filet of salmon for $10, $11. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently, with our membership introduction, though, you can get that 
a lot of these meals for way, way less. So our entree are now starting at seven dollars. And what, what is the membership fee? The membership fee is there's either a, a monthly or an annual option. The monthly option is eight dollar ninety five cents a month. Uh, an annual option is $85. So you save a couple months when you choose the annual option. Mm-hmm. Uh, regardless, you have 30 days to try it. If you don't like it, obviously you can stop it. And you don't even pay any of the membership fee for that first month. Uh, but if you like it, then that's the small commitment we ask of you. Making that small commitment allow us to bring the prices down to this incredible level. $7 chicken pesto pasta. I mean, you go to uh, your, yeah, no, your it's neighborhood Italian restaurant, it's easily $15, $16 for that dish. But a lot of these companies have shuttered. A lot of these food tech startups, uh, Kitchen, Spoon Rocket, Dinner Lab, Chef Nightly. Scalability is an issue and keeping competition from these giants that are now into meal deliveries. So talk a little bit about the economics of it. Absolutely. Um, you know, so like for Kitchit or something like that, that's a very different model. The chef actually go to your house. Yep. I think I that's it. a very hard model to scale. Mm-hmm. Spoon Rocket serve hot food. I think that's really difficult to do. I've always maintained that position. Sprig does something similar, exactly. right? Which is still around. He's, he's still around. But yeah, they're still around. But it's required that you have facility to heat up food. And that's not uh, effective uh, in, in terms of how you scale to serve a lot of people. Our mission is is to make real food accessible to everyone, everywhere. To achieve that, that's a tall order, obviously. But that means you have to serve people far and wide, not just in urban environment. We go in the Bay Area here, if you're familiar with the geography, we go to Marin, we go to East Bay, Walnut Creek, San Ramon, Danville, Fremont, San Jose, all of Peninsula. I mean, that's incredible. It's a 35, 40-mile radius uh, that we cover, and and that allow us to serve a lot more people effectively. Mm-hmm. And look, you know, maybe in San Francisco, people can afford you know fifteen dollar meals or whatever. But most other places, let alone the country, just the Bay Area here outside of San Francisco, that's a lot of money. I hear like what you're saying about having commercial kitchens, and you know you're fully integrated, so you do the distribution. I'm assuming that you have these trucks that mm-hmm. you're using. You're freezing the food, right? So you've got all these things as a part of your business model. I think I hear that, and I think that sounds expensive. It actually is incredibly efficient. So to give you some a point of comparison, so let's say pick an amazing national chain like Chipotle. Okay, we talk about them a lot as an example because we we have a, a lot of respect for them because food business is really tough. It takes them about 40 or so stores to cover the same geography that we cover in the Bay Area today. Okay, 40 stores. Each of those stores, you can read this report, it's available publicly, is about a million and a half to build, right? That's money into the ground to put a store together. Uh, so 40 stores, 50-something million dollars just to have the stores. Now, the stores act as a marketing engine too because people see it, it's great. But that's a lot of money. For us, we only need one kitchen. That one kitchen may cost a few million dollars, but it doesn't cost $10 million. And so you already see that it's already eight to 10 times more capital efficient than having 40 stores. Well, I get that idea, but how much have you raised, for example? What is the amount? Yeah, over the history of the company so far, we raised about $115 million. Okay, and you're Um, you're not profitable, correct? We are profitable in certain markets. Oh, so I see. if you like Uber. Yeah, the way we look at profitability is per city operation. Because if you start a new city, that's an investment, right? That's kind of unfair to say, okay, you know, how can you expect a brand new city to be profitable on day one? But in Bay Area here, we recently released that we are 20 to 30% contribution margin positive. That's incredible. That factors in every cost 
that it takes us to deliver a meal to you, whether it's from the ingredient, the, the labor to cook it, the packaging, the credit card processing fee that we have to pay, uh, the delivery, uh, every aspect of our expense to you minus that out of our revenue, we have 20 to 30% contribution margin. For our new market, it takes a little bit of time, but yeah, we're crossing the line and become positive in every city that we're in. And that's, that's incredible. So for us, it's that vertically integration, it's that full control and quality, and it's the great food that we bring to you. At the end of the day, it's the great food. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can have all these technology and whatever. It's meaningless unless the food is fantastic uh, and the service is great. When you hear of companies like Uber and Amazon getting more and more into the on-demand food delivery markets, does that worry you at all? What are your, what, what's your first thought when you hear, oh, great, now they're coming to Seattle or whatever it might be? This is not the first time we've seen you know, a lot of uh, entrants into the market. Um, like you said earlier in the podcast, uh, Grubhub's been around forever. And uh, Grubhub uh, relied on the restaurant to do their own deliveries. Uh, now Uber Eats and Amazon Prime now, they all have uh, their own delivery service to help restaurants that don't have their own delivery staff. So that adds a, a layer for the business side. But from the consumer side, it's very little difference because it's still the same food being delivered from the restaurant. It doesn't worry me in that uh, uh, for a few reasons. A, the food market is gigantic. Right. In the U.S. alone, it's a trillion dollar business between restaurant and supermarkets and, and all that. In fact, our, I view our main competition are people who are used to going to a grocery market, picking up groceries and cook. That's our main demographics that we're trying to give them a chance to try something differently. But so you're restaurant- not concerned about the networks that companies like Uber and Amazon already have. You're more concerned we, about people who might just go to the it. store yeah, instead? Yeah, I mean, we keep an eyes out. And, and for people who want to get that food from the restaurant, they can always do that. You have a delivery yeah. service, correct, that you also exactly. run? You we, couldn't we see, provide our own delivery service. You couldn't see doing a deal with Uber to join with them to have them deliver, given they have more cars and more delivery options. We're open to any of those conversations, uh, Kara. The, the issue is this. We are highly efficient at this. Okay, so Uber, and I don't know much about you know how efficient Amazon is. They're they're really good in being uh, having a lot of cars on the road. But at the end of the day, how efficient are you at that delivery? How how many deliveries can you make in an hour, so to speak? Because at the end of the day, that has to be highly efficient, and we we have gotten really good at it. And everyone we have talked to so far cannot match our efficiency for that because we have designed ourselves for this purpose. And, you know, we have our drivers specifically trained for this. They know how to do this well. At the end of the day, it has to be a great uh, service end-to-end to customers. So when our drivers, they're typically assigned the same neighborhoods uh, for delivery. So if they go to Lauren's home, they're like, hey, I'm going to Lauren's home again. I know exactly where she lives. And she recognizes that, hey, is Johnny coming to my house again? Um, you trust him. And, and he hopes. becomes, yeah, well, because you know who he is. He's been there before and he knows where you are. You want the food in the bag. Maybe you have a dog. You don't want to ring the bell because the dog would bark, whatever. That is part of their experience. And, and to us, that's key. And then, then because they go to your same neighborhood, they cover the same neighborhood every day. They're highly efficient. They know what they're doing. I have to say, I did order Uber Eats recently. We were, we were out on a video shoot and we just needed something quickly. And I thought, let's try Uber Eats. And I was not happy with the experience. Uh, the food wasn't great, and they arrived without utensils. There was one meal short. And then afterwards, it was interesting because I went to the Uber Eats app to order, but then the transaction appeared just as a regular Uber transaction in my Uber account. And I thought, that's strange. I can't actually, like, for expense purposes, I can't actually go and say this was Uber Eats. 
And this was food and not a ride. And maybe, I mean, that was, you know, a while ago, so maybe they've worked some of the kinks out. But I'm sure all that would be worked out. The difference here is Montre made her own food. So the food at the restaurant, like I'm telling you, I'm going to keep going back to that point, uh, is made for you to be enjoy in the dining room at that restaurant. Mm-hmm. The second you put that in the box and trying to bring it to customers, that's a secondary uh, kind of so, priority for that restaurant. So you know? let's and finish up. Let's talk a little bit about this, what you think food tech is then. I mean, obviously, those are just glorified delivery services using apps. You know, that's what it is. We used to, yeah. New York had delivery services for years before they just used the phone. What do you think food tech is? Yeah, so I think um, you brought out uh, companies like Invi- Impossible Foods and, and, and Hampton Creek. Uh, to me, the science aspect of coming up with brand new ingredients on how to make, uh, let's say, plant-based food that these companies are doing, that, to me, is one side of technology, obviously. By the way, we're in conversation with all of these folks. They're incredible. And, and whenever we can, whenever it fits, we would happily work with them to feature some of these great ingredients mm-hmm. on our in our menu for customers to try. Is that an area you are interested in? Are you looking at actually sort of reinventing the food that is being served? Not in the scientific way that these okay. companies are doing. Uh, we leave that to these experts to do so. Uh, we do use their ingredients or their components if they, let's say Hampton Creek make a, an amazing mayonnaise. Yeah, that is plant-based. yeah I like their mayonnaise. Um, you know, we they're, or they're not mayonnaise or whatever we're supposed to call it. There are a lot, yeah, there are, there are a lot of different components. But yeah, we're happily to talk with these folks and, and work with them and use those ingredients whenever it fits into our meals. But that's not what Munchery is. Munchery used technology in many ways. I guess the best analogy I can come up with is like Amazon has technology behind the scene to bring you great products quickly. Probably have read about their humongous warehouses and how they can pack your orders really effectively, efficiently, and, and bring it to you within same day in many cases. We do that. On top of that, we deal with perishable products. So uh, so not just something that can sit in the shelf uh, forever until, until someone orders. Uh, that's where the technology comes in for us. The technology comes in for cooking. How do you make sure the procedure is correct? How do you make sure the efficiency in the kitchen is done uh, correctly? You can't just willy-nilly say, okay, just do whatever it takes. That would be con- you know, out of control really quickly. And then inventory of the food, like I said, this is perishable good. So we have to make sure everything goes through really cleanly uh, and then all the way through to the consumers uh, and have full traceability back, right? If there's an issue with anything, we know where the food is made, who made it, who delivered it, when was it cooked, what temperature was it you know, cooked at. Uh, we have these ovens that are internet enabled so the chef can actually enter in the exact steps on the oven on how to cook this, let's say, roast chicken or something like that from remotely without an operator locally who can potentially make an error. Uh, these ovens cost a lot of money, but it can cook, let's say, 400 pieces of salmon in one shot. I need one of those. Yeah, well, you probably won't because unless you have a lot of big parties. <laughs> right. Uh, and there's a reason restaurants don't invest in them because they don't have 400 customers in one shot. Uh, but they cost a lot, uh, but th- that allow us to be really consistent. In fact, it's probably better than it had our chef cook one by one, 400 times over. <laughs> Do you, when, uh, I, this is probably on the brain because we talked about this so much at Code Conference last week, but artificial intelligence. Is, Do you see AI playing into your future plans for how your distribution system works? We kind of joke around uh, on this, but the daily delivery is an amazing uh, operation to us, uh, how to do that efficiently because every day you have different set of customers. Yes, in the same neighborhoods that we cover, but it's a different set of customers every day. 
and traffic conditions and, you know, maybe accidents on the road or whatever. And how we reroute against all that is actually both a challenge and an opportunity for us to do well. Um, yeah, I think I'm sure that that can come in handy. Right now, we rely on technology service provider like Google Maps and, and folks like that to help us with that information. But then our drivers who are on the ground every day also see this information. And how do we incorporate that all into one uh, point would be incredible. I see a lot of opportunities there. Obviously, that's not something we, we focus on. But I just well, maybe, thought it's interesting. Maybe you'll print the food. Maybe we'll do printing of food. <laughs> just send it to us. In a minute, we're going to hear some questions about food tech from our readers and listeners. And we hope you'll stay around. But first, today's show is brought to you by SoFi. SoFi is a new kind of finance company. They're helping people get out of student debt faster while saving them a whole lot of money. Refinancing student loans with SoFi saves members an average of $19,000. SoFi even partners with companies to help free their employees of debt. See how SoFi can help you at SOFI.com. Terms and conditions apply at SoFi.com slash legal. So every week, we ask our readers and listeners to send in their questions, comments, and complaints about tech topics. And you can do that by tweeting us with the hashtag TooEmbarrassed. That's two R's and two S's. And this week, we ask for your questions about food and technology and your experiences with delivery services. Interestingly, more people responded on Facebook this week than uh, they Facebook. did on, on Twitter. But we got some really great comments. And please and jump in, Munchery Guy. Facebook. Uh, yeah, so um, the first one actually comes from my colleague at The Verge, Caitlin Tiffany. She just wrote a really excellent review of five or six different food delivery, meal kit delivery services for The Verge. She spent weeks and weeks testing them, and she's a very clever writer, so I recommend you um, check that out on TheVerge.com. But she asks, can you ask why a lot of these services market to middle-class families, even though no middle-class family can afford them. And I'm going to paraphrase a little bit for Caitlin, but I think she's referring to the fact that, you know, you say, okay, well, our meals are 10 to $12, and that's a pretty good deal for restaurant-quality meals. But at the same time, I think if people were really conscientious and needed to cobble together meals for their family every night for less, they could do that. I mean, so it does seem as though they're sort of, you're marketing to this class of people, this middle class of people, like, make life easier. But for some people, 10 to $12 per meal is still a lot. What do you have to say about that? I agree. 10 to $12 is a lot. That's why the recent membership introduction allow us to bring our meals down to 7 to $9. 7 to $9. That's a burrito. And I think that fits a lot of people. I mean, food is not getting any cheaper, but I think that's an incredible value. And then considering the quality of ingredients we use and the service we bring to you, 7 to $9, Lord. So I think Caitlin has a point there, but that's exactly why we work on membership. In fact, it's something we did uh, seven months ago when we tried it out in L.A. We did a beta pilot kind of thing where we're like, hey, what if we ask for a small commitment from customers and it's just a one-time monthly fee, yet you can order as much as you want and completely use Munchery as your dinner solution because we have daily changing menu. Had we been the same menu every day, that's going to be pretty tiring uh, to eat that you know, every day or every week or whatever. But yeah, it's, I think that's an, an achievement we've done that I'm very proud of. But do you see prices coming down? I mean, you're not going to get to McDonald's lovers because that's another thing people eat dinner at. Uh, I mean, even though the food is not as healthy for you. Yeah, 7 to $9 to me is an incredible value if we... And we will. We continue to make better progress on our efficiency. And, and as we maintain these margins, if we make better margin than the 20 30% margin I told you earlier, we're probably going to keep passing on that saving to customers because that would fit our mission. 
And then for those unfortunate people who can't even afford a meal, any kind of meal, we also donate a meal on, on behalf of every order our customer plays. In fact, we are the largest donor, I believe, to the San Francisco Marin Food Bank. So you actually donate a meal for every meal ordered. That's right. Every single order that's placed, we donate the equivalent of what it costs the food bank to bring uh, a meal to someone. Okay, so you mm-hmm. do that. We don't actually cook the food to the food bank. The food bank actually prefer the capital. Right, exactly, because of perishables. Yeah, I mean, I keep seeing the statistics around how many people in the U.S. are still considered food insecure. Um, I think last year the number was around 14% of U.S. families. And we do see all these amazing technologies, and I'm not going to get too much on like a soapbox here, but we do see a lot of these amazing technologies coming out around distribution of food. And I kind of keep wondering when it's going to to hit the 14% or people who can't afford 10 to $12 per meal and, um, and maybe, you know, would like access to better food for their families in, in an easier way. But maybe someday we will see some of this technology applying there. We have another remark. This is more of a comment uh, than a question, but from Cindy, she says, we do plated. We have been for a year now. I've tried plated as well. She says, the packaging is hard to swallow. And that's something I hear a lot about Blue Apron as well. Montreal seems to do a sort of a limited amount of packaging. But when you're thinking about the packaging that goes into all this, you know, the delivery infrastructure and everything else, what is your thought process around that? Yeah, a couple of thoughts. Um, Blue Apron does ingredients. They send you ingredients Mm -hmm. to cook. Uh, meal kits, I think is the keyword that folks tend to use to describe. Munchery has a, our own version of what we call ready-to-cook uh, meal kit. Uh, it's not all raw ingredients, though. We did some of the prep work for you. So uh, for a Blue Apron meals that we typically, whenever we try, uh, it takes an hour plus to put it together. For our meal kit, it takes 15 minutes flat. So the way we achieve that is, let's say, some of the sauces were really made for you. You get to pan sear the steak. You get to saute the chicken. And then you pour the sauce in and you make a, a dinner in 15 minutes flat. Uh, we have a pretty cool video of it on our site. You can go check it out. So that's a very important difference for us. But yeah, bringing back the packaging topic. Uh, yeah, when you, when you deliver and ship ingredients in separate pouches, that is a, a difficult barrier to overcome because you do need to keep these ingredients separately. And shipping has its own challenge. You have to keep the food chilled. Uh, it needs ice pack or, or uh, you know, materials like that. Uh, we actually recently introduced uh, shipping ourselves. We call it the plat box. Plat is our kind of logo pattern. Uh, so we call it the plat box. Um, and we ship to the whole West Coast, the eight states across the West Coast. And that was a challenge that we come across. What do you um, exactly do you ship in the plat box? So we ship you these ready-to-cook meal kits. The ready-to-cook meal yeah, kits. Okay. Yeah, so you can cook dinner in, in 15 minutes. But yeah, for our hand delivery uh, products, we use containers that we literally went to the end of the internet to look for them. <laughs> uh, and now we have them made for us. Um, but these are fully composed containers yep. uh, when you I like that eat, about them uh, yeah when except you that the most cities don't it, have composting most yeah well, care is a big composter. I'm a big composter. Uh, you know for even for cities that don't have compost you put in the unfortunately landfill those things decompose nicely in the landfill so at least it doesn't keep building up like plastic wood yeah. uh, so these containers are very important to us we we obviously paid a lot more for them than had we just give you a, a little plastic box. And they're designed also to uh, be microwavable or even in the oven up to 400 degrees. So it adds a, a high degree of convenience to customers, yet is fully compostable. Okay. I mean, is it an expensive thing to do? Why aren't more companies doing compostable? It is an expensive thing to do. It is absolutely That's why, an expensive Lauren, thing to do. Because it's good for the environment. No, <laughs> really. I mean, I thought Kara was going to fire me once because I went to her house and I think I put something that was yeah. compostable in yeah. the wrong recycling. Bad, bad. 
about it. She's really, really all about it. I know it. it's it's meaningless, but it makes me feel better. Okay, so why do I, I don't think it's meaningless at all. I know, I know. I, what you I mean. think it's I important. Know, I know. All right, Tyler Pina, why do they have so much sodium? Can someone make one without sodium? That's my question. That's Tyler from our video team. Make what without sodium? A food. The, uh, oh, I think he just sodium food options. delivery services in general. When he yeah. uses food delivery services, he's noticing that oh, some of them are coming. They're very salty. There's right. a lot of gluten-free ones where they mention gluten-free but not low sodium. Yeah, I think it depends on dishes. Um, right now, every dish that is on our menu, we show you the full breakout of the nutritional facts. Sodium, fat, sugar, all that, uh, and and the full list of ingredients. We're, we're, by the way, really proud to be able to do that because on top of that, we have a daily changing menu. <laughs> but going back to the point, the unfortunate thing right now is when we, let's say, make a salad for you or, or a dish that has a separate, um, let's say, sauce, aioli or something like that, or a salad dressing, all those components add into the same nutritional fact table that we have for the main dish, regardless had you only used half of that sauce. Or, or a third of that sauce. But we're not going to include a tiny amount uh, in the dish for you. We're going to give you ample amount of sauce. So we're actually working on separating that out. So you be the judge yourself. Hey, are you going to use all that sauce that we're going to give you? Yes, you're going to have all that sodium and, and fat content that comes with it. But if you're only going to use half of that, you be the judge. So that that's a, that's a key for us. Otherwise, no, we don't cook the food any differently than what you would cook yourself. Uh, and then depending on the dish, some dishes have low sodium, some dishes by nature have more sodium, but that's going to vary from dish to dish. Uh, we're, we're cooking it for our own employees to eat and, and all that. So we're, we're highly conscious of this. And these recipes are carefully designed for this. I don't know if there's a specific dish Tyler is talking about. Uh, I can you know, happily look into specific ones, but otherwise we're pretty conscious about this. Everything is made fresh. Everything is made with, you know, obviously taste in mind. And look, too much salt may may brings out some flavors, but it can also taste bad. So we have to make sure it, it's, a, it's a great balance. Mm-hmm. I actually have a question about sourcing. Putting my California hat on for a moment here. We use Blue Apron fairly regularly. And sometimes Blue Apron will say where something is from. They'll say, oh, we, these noodles are from Sun Noodles, right, which is a pretty popular distributor. And they might say, oh, we source our meat from the same place that Mario Batali gets his meat, right, which is sort of this indirect way of saying where it may be coming from. But then there's a lot of times where it's not maybe as transparent. Um, and I think when I've used Munchery too, I don't know exactly maybe where that piece of salmon is coming from. And some people do care about this yes. stuff. So um, are you planning on being more transparent? Do you, Where do you source from? Absolutely. So our standard for, let's say, protein is that it has to be all natural. Uh, so no hormone, no antibiotics, things like that. Uh, we use a number of either farms and or distributors. The reason uh, sometimes it's hard for us to just point to a single farm is because there's not enough supply from a single farm when we order, let's say, thousands of pounds of chicken. That's changing, by the way. So hopefully soon we have some news to share that we actually work with certain providers, certain mm-hmm. farms who can supply enough right. for us. But let's say um, beef or something like that. It could be very difficult to get it all from a single farm because they may not have it available year-round to meet our demand. So these uh, distributors that we work with, they source it from multiple farms. They all have the same standards, but it's also make it hard for us to just say, oh, yeah, it comes from this one farm, when in fact it could have came from three different farms. 
So that's a challenge for us, but we'll, we'll soon fix it because I think at least uh, we should know which farm it comes from this week and <laughs> which right. one it comes from the week after. I mean, do these delivery services like yours and others have the power at this point to go to farms and say, we need X amount of, like Alice Waters, you know, it back all, in, it, the, in yeah, the 80s yeah. went to farms yeah. and said, I want to make this. And so can you make more of this or can you feed chickens this way? And then, right. and then farms reacted. In fact, it, it is happening. So, so we're working on that and like a, a kind of preview earlier, hopefully we have some news to share soon. Um, you can share it here if you'd like. <laughs> it's not quite ready yet. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it is very important for us to to be as transparent as we can about where the, our ingredients come from. We are very fortunate in that we live near the Central Valley here where a lot of, if not all of our produce uh, comes from the Central Valley here. We have to use things that are in season uh, because that's when they're most abundant. Uh, they taste best. And the most cost-effective. Well, maybe you could uh, if, you could send us uh, pictures of the chicken we're eating, like on Portlandia or something. Sure. <laughs> so last, <laughs> very last I question. I don't know. You really want to know no, that. I, I, I don't really <laughs> want to know. Meet the chicken. Um, so last question. My boyfriend ate free for weeks using every meal delivery service promo code he could find, including several of them multiple times by resubscribing with a different email address and credit card. Apparently very easy to game. Oh, I've thought about doing that, but then I, yeah. I thought better of it. <laughs> How do you prevent you that? You do a lot of promos, we, for sure. <laughs> yes. Obviously, we want people to try us and having an incentive uh, sometimes help nudge someone to try us. And so that happens. We do use technology to try and look for gamers, so to speak. Uh, the thing about us is we have our own delivery staff. If Johnny comes to your house multiple times under different names, he'll be the first to say, hmm. 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 so so that won't last very very long with us let's let's just give it that much right. uh, besides just technology on on our backend system to detect hey how come you know the same address under different names how many possible people live in this one apartment unit <laughs> uh, with, with different credit cards uh, no it can be an issue but it's a very small issue for so you, I mean you actually know a lot about your customers we we have foot on the ground eyes on the ground so to speak to see our customers and yeah and that that allow us to uh, sniff out all these issues if, if needed and uh, we have a final comment from Michaela on Facebook she says we get pizza delivery almost every Friday great service lots of options smiley face so uh, I think Michaela lives uh, pizza in the suburb of New York and um, maybe isn't using delivery services as much as she used to but yeah pizza you know I formed this company um, because I was tired of keep on getting pizzas pizza. uh, it bring great convenience but it's not something I think I can eat very much, you know, every day, every week. And then I had kids and I felt guilty feeding them, you know, pizza every time we do takeout. Well, you guys do. Um, so do yeah, I have this, to this say. Yeah, I, I yep. use your service and you do a great job. You do. It's just uh, I just wonder if I'm getting the VC treatment. No, not the VC treatment. No, but like all of don't. us are benefiting we, from you know, ridiculous. In the early me. days, I first five months of the company, I did delivery across San Francisco. Did you really? I did. And believe me, I look you up <laughs> when in those early <laughs> days. I shouldn't say that, but you know that 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 was those early days. Now we just we have way too many customers, and we treat every customer. No, not that. Same. No, no, no. What I'm talking about is that you guys have gotten so much funding that I'm benefiting from idiotic VC funding, and right. I'm very happy to take the food, the free food. <laughs> in a sense, it's being some. Yeah, not anybody. Everybody's being subsidized, it's, but it's no, a really so, yeah, so it's it has a fascinating to be a business. Area. I, I think I, I mentioned earlier, it has to be a business. So for us yep. in, in Bay Area here, we're we're glad to be. Uh, profitable here and we're doing so in every city it cannot be uh, that kind of vc subsidized kind of business for long right you gotta that capital is important to get us going to get us to scale 
but it has to be a sustainable business. Otherwise, it's meaningless. Yep, but it's delicious. So anyway, thank you so much for for coming on, Tree. And a side note, too, um, Tree has a very interesting personal backstory, which Bloomberg, and it's very uh, rare for me to say so shamelessly, like, go read another publication, because Recode does a lot of excellent stories as well as The Verge. Uh, But Bloomberg did profile Tree earlier this year, and you were a refugee from Vietnam who first came to the United States in the 80s and really have worked your way to building this successful company. So um, it's a Um, great story, and I highly recommend everyone go check it out. Thank you so much for that. Thank Uh, you so much, Tree. Being here is an incredible opportunity. Good. Well, thanks so much. All right, this has been another great episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask. If you enjoyed the episode as much as we did, be sure to subscribe to the show, and you can leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Too Embarrassed to Ask. And subscribing is great. You'll be the first to listen to new episodes every Friday or catch up on previous episodes where we answer all of the tech questions that our listeners have been too embarrassed to ask. That's iTunes.com slash too embarrassed to ask. You can also subscribe on Google Play Music, TuneIn, or Stitcher, and you can listen to every episode at recode.net slash podcasts. And while you're there, you should check out our other podcasts like Recode Decode, Recode Replay, and Recode Media with Peter Kafka. If you're interested in the intersection of food and tech, then you don't want to miss our interview with the Impossible Food CEO Pat Brown and professional chef Dominique Crenn, who has two Michelin stars. You can find that on Recode Replay, along with other audio from the 2016 Code Conference. Seriously, all of it is up there. So yeah. enjoy. You and didn't have to pay great. the enormous amount of money other people did. The VCs who are funding <laughs> was, Munchery had to pay. I was there, and I re-listened to some of the sessions on Recode Replay this past weekend. So that's how good they are. And The Verge also has some great podcasts for your listening pleasure. Walt Mossberg and Neelai Patel host Control, Walt Delete. Neelai also usually hosts The Verge Cast. And this past week, we did a very special late night vergecast from code uh, which people seem to really like even though we were deliriously tired so you'll want to check that out chris plant hosts what's tech and liz lapato and emily yoshida host verge esp yeah next week you'll be all going crazy with apple right yes and next week uh we're gonna have a great podcast i'm not gonna say what it is just yet but it's going to be around wwdc so be sure to check that out of course you can't stop talking about that don't forget to tweet your questions ahead of time to at recode with the hashtag too embarrassed thanks for listening we'll be back next week to answer more of the questions that you have been too embarrassed to ask, tune in then.